Well, there's a, a little part of me, I don't know how little it is some days, but that's super, super nerdy. And so at my inner nerd, had so much fun a few months ago introducing my kids to uh, the original Star Wars and um, just watching them kind of light up, you know, and it's, uh, it's funny, the, the longer and longer we get from the original Star Wars, the more it kind of gets a little bit hokey. You go, man, this was like cutting edge 40 years ago. Now it seems a little hokey, but it's, it's I don't know, I still think it's great. Um, and, and as I've watched my kids kind of get into it, it's been fun to watch them take it from a movie they watched on the TV to the games they play in the backyard. And so we've been enjoying the better, the nice weather and so having the screen door open in the back. And so I'll be inside and I'll hear them on the back porch kind of creating their own like lightsaber battles. But like any good kids, you know, they don't need lightsabers. They make their own. So one of them had a plastic golf club. The other one had a stick. And I was like, just don't hurt each other, you know. But they're out there playing and they're like, I want to be Yoda. No, I want to be Yoda. And I'm going to be Darth Vader. And they're kind of picking their favorite characters and playing their games. And, and, and while that's something they're experiencing now on a kid level, that's something that a lot of us experience on an adult level too. Many of the books that we read, we, we pick or we continue in a series because we relate to a character. We, we find some of ourselves in, in one of those people. Um, you know, that's one of the reasons why fictional stories can move us so deeply is because we, we find ourselves in the stories and struggles of these people who are living these lives that aren't necessarily real, but they connect to our very real lives and they move us. And that's one of the reasons why so many of those stories have been so popular and have lasted over time. I know there was a period in my own life where I went back and just watched the movie of The Count of Monte Cristo again. But I was going through a season of, of bitterness and unforgiveness, and I saw some of myself in that character and the way that bitterness was ruining his life. And I said, man, I need to get over that because I don't want to be like him. And that's what the stories have the power to do. And I think that's one of the reasons why the Bible continues to have such a significant place in our world, not just because it's the word of God, but because the stories that we tell that are told in that book, there are stories. They represent our lives. They, they, we find some of ourselves in those experiences. And today we're beginning a new series where we lean into some of the stories, which are true stories, of people encountering Jesus. And I just wanted to warn you a little bit as we get into it, that there's going to be a temptation you're going to face, some of you, that as you read the story, you're going to go, well, I don't relate to anybody else in this story, so, so I must be Jesus. <laughs> and here's the thing, in this story, you don't get to be Jesus. You can be anybody you want, but you can't be Jesus. And there's a reason why. You don't get to be Jesus because you need Jesus. And, and this is not where I intended on planning this sermon. I'll just tell you, this is not where I thought this sermon would go. I had a very different sermon written, and then another one decided it wanted to be written instead. We'll, we'll call that God. Um, but I wanted to go a different direction, but I chose to start here. I think God wants us to start here because I think some of us see ourselves in the story as the Savior. In a world as broken as ours is right now, we're so tempted to run out and want to be part of the solution. I mean, even just this week, even the last eight days, you have six or eight bombs that go off in Sri Lanka in the middle of Easter services. You have a man who mows down people with his car. And then yesterday, some Jews go to synagogue and somebody comes in and destroys that time. And those are just three that made like international news. 
doesn't describe all the ones that happened in your little corner of the world. And in, and in that kind of environment, we, we so want to jump in and be a part of fixing that and solving that. And this is why we need to remember the wisdom of Leo Tolstoy. He said, everybody wants to change the world, but nobody wants to change himself. The, the world is broken, and I'm broken. The world needs to be healed, and you need to be healed. And as much as you want to be part of the solution, you've got to acknowledge that you're part of the problem too. And so we're starting this new series today called Not Like Me, talking about in this world where we see people who are so different from us, how do we learn to relate to them? How do we love them like Jesus would? How do we think about them like Jesus would? How do we serve them like Jesus would? And before we get there, I feel like we need kind of a a sermon before the series. We need an introduction before we get into it. And here's where I think we have to start with this idea. If you're taking notes, this is in your handout. That without connecting to the source in Jesus, we'll never be a resource to others. Without connecting to the source in Jesus, we'll never be a resource to others in the midst of the brokenness and the need all around us. You see, before we can actually be part of the solution, we need to experience the solution ourselves for the places in which we're part of the problem. We need to be healed before we can heal other people. Before we can change the world, we need to be changed. Because as broken as the world is out there, you and I are broken in here. And we need to face that and be healed there in that place. And so my plan was originally to preach today from John chapter 4, but this sermon that didn't follow you know, my instructions became a sermon about John 3 and 4. So if you have your Bible, open up to John chapter 3, and we'll also be in John chapter 4. John is the fourth account of the life and teaching of Jesus, the fourth biography of his life. And in these two chapters, don't worry, we're not going to be here all day, even though your handout says there's 66 verses that we're going to touch part of today. We're going to look at the stories of two people. And the stories are, the people who are in the stories are Nicodemus and then a woman whose name we don't even know. They just call her the Samaritan woman. So for our sake today, I've nicknamed them Nick and Sammy because I think she's worthy of a name. And Nicodemus is really long, so we'll just call him Nick for short. Let me tell you a little bit about these two people we're going to meet in the story. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader. By the time we meet Nicodemus, or Nick, he has memorized the books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You know those books you can't even get through for your yearly Bible writing plan? Yeah, he memorized the whole thing. He's also memorized over 600 laws and is keeping them every day. He is a professional religious person who traffics in knowing all the answers and not asking a lot of questions. And he has an encounter with Jesus, which is really interesting. There's a woman who we don't even know her name. We're calling her Sammy today, but she's a Samaritan woman. She was ostracized, marginalized, and cast aside by her culture. She had little dignity and value as a woman to begin with. And because of her past, she had even less dignity and value. And today, I want to show you five contrasts between our friends Nick and Sammy. So if you're taking notes, the first contrast is this, that Nick 
comes to Jesus at night, but Sammy encounters Jesus at noon. I know your, I know your handout says comes to, but that's actually wrong because she didn't go looking for Jesus. Jesus came looking for her. So Nick comes to Jesus at night, and we explore his story first in John 3, 1 through 2, where it says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So by this time, Jesus has actually come. He's, he's preaching, he's teaching, he's healing, he's performing miracles. In John 2, just before this, he's gone into the temple. He's turned over all of the ways they're turning the house of God into a uh, consumer center to make money. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night to have a conversation with him. This is very different than Sammy. In John chapter 4, we read that Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. So most scholars believe he started six hours ahead and been walking for six hours. Whether he had a Fitbit or not, he definitely got all of his steps in that day. And it says that when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now, what I find so interesting is that these people are so different, and yet their encounters with Jesus happen with some similarity. You see, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. Why does he come at night? Well, he doesn't want anybody to know he's there. Because Jesus is very quickly becoming the enemy of the Pharisees. Nicodemus doesn't want anybody to know he's there. Nick wants to come at night, ironically. This is kind of your Nick at night episode here in the (laughs) Gospels today. I know, it was a little bit weak. Um, But he comes at night because he doesn't want anybody to know he's there. Some of you are here today and it's the exact same thing. You're not going to post that you're here today. You're not going to share that you're here today. Because there are people who knew if you were here today, exploring faith, who would ostracize you. Who would sideline you who'd make fun of you. You're asking some hard questions about life and you don't want people to know. You can relate to Nicodemus. On the opposite end, you have Sammy who comes during the blazing hot part of the day. And in this day where you didn't have running water at your sink, you had to go get water. You would go get water in the beginning of the day or the end of the day. But if you didn't want to meet anybody, if you didn't want to see anybody, if you wanted to go alone, you'd go in the middle of the day. Some of you can relate to this. If you want to see all of Prescott, go to to Costco this afternoon. (laughs) If you don't want to see anybody, go on Tuesday morning right when they open. And as we'll learn, she's there at noon because she doesn't want to see anybody. Because she doesn't want to hear what they would say because they would say things that aren't very nice. So if you're like Nicodemus, then you can relate to the experience of many men who've been put back in line by the men in their life because they broke the code. Sometimes us guys, we hold other guys to certain standards, and when a guy gets out of line, we let him know. That doesn't, that doesn't work around here. 
Many of us feel like we can't be free to be ourselves or say things that are honest because of the men around us, because we don't fit. That's only a man problem. I know women never do that to other women. They never say mean things to other women. You never hurt each other. You never cannibalize each other. That's just a man problem. But occasionally with women, sometimes you guys are a little harsh with each other. And that was her experience. She's there by herself because she doesn't want to see the other women who are getting water. She comes at noon. And Jesus is waiting for her because he wants to have a conversation with her. The second contrast we see here is that Nick comes with respect for Jesus and Sammy comes with hostility. I thought about calling her Salty Sammy here because she's got some, some frustration for Jesus. And in John 3, 2, we see what, what Nick says. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. Come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He's, he's treating Jesus with respect. He's using his title as a rabbi or a teacher. He's beginning with compliments. He's kind of buttering Jesus up. We don't know if he's kind of trying to pull it over on Jesus. He's just beginning with respect and reverence and honor because he's part of that class. Sammy is real different. In, in John 4, 9, she says to Jesus after he asks her for a drink, she goes, how is it that you, a Jew, would ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? You say, why is she salty, Sammy? Because Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. There's been 600 years of racial tension between Jews and Samaritans ever since the Babylonians and Assyrians conquered both these lands. And according to Jews, Samaritans were permanently unclean people. If you were going to try to go somewhere and Samaria was on the way, you would detour and cross the Jordan River and go around so you didn't have to be on their land, much less interact with them. So when Jesus asked her to give him a drink from her cup, she gets, she gets, and she goes, how do you get off, Jesus? How is it that you, a Jew, would ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? She's angry because she's been experiencing this hostility, this judgment, this condemnation from the Jews for her whole life. And so you might think that, you know, Nicodemus is the one to be lauded with because of his respect and Sammy's the one to be put down because she comes with hostility. But if you read the text, Jesus doesn't even acknowledge the difference. It's as if he doesn't really care whether you come with respect or you come with hostility. He's going to have an encounter with you either way. See, the lesson for me is that Jesus meets us as we are, not as we wish we were. Some of you are hostile towards God today and It's not that you want to be or don't want to be. It's just where you are. God hasn't shown up in your life the way you thought he would. You're like, I did my part. He didn't do his. I thought he was God. I thought he would do all these things and he didn't. And so you're angry, but you don't even want to be angry. You're just angry. Some of you grew up in church. You didn't choose to be born to that family. You kind of learned some of these things about how you do things and so you have this natural respect okay either way jesus is going to meet you where you are today and that's good news because religion tells you to get yourself cleaned up get your life in order then come to god and jesus says i'm going to meet you wherever you are for this woman i'm going to meet you where you didn't even see me coming 
And so if you're here today and you're like, I'm waiting for the lightning to fall from heaven because you have no idea where I was yesterday, pastor, guess what? You're in the right place. The lightning's not coming because Jesus meets you as you are, not as you wish you were. So there's no need for masks. There's no need for faking it. There's no need for putting on because all of that's a barrier to the work Jesus wants to do. So just show up as you are. He's ready to do something you didn't see coming. Number three, Nick needs to be saved from religion. Sammy needs to be saved from shame. In John chapter three, beginning in verse three, this is what Jesus says to Nicodemus after the compliment. He answers him saying, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nick says to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? He's thinking biologically, this does not make sense, Jesus. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirits, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. He's challenging his religious worldview and saying, you're not as good off as you think you are. And he's a very different conversation with Sammy after she answers with hostility. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, then you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now this week what I, I discovered something. The, the word here for living water is the same word that would have been used for running water. If you've ever been out in, in, a, in the country or in the third world, you know, you don't drink from still water. You only drink from a living water. Still water is where bacteria grows. Moving water is more clean. So she thinks he's referring to moving water. And here's what she says. She says, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. And the well is deep. Where do you get that moving water? She's like, this this well is the deepest well in this area. Where are you going to get it, Jesus? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and the livestock. And Jesus says, everyone who drinks of this water, of this well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so Sammy says, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And then Jesus has an interesting turn in the conversation. He says, hey, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus says to her, you're right in saying you have no husband. In fact, you've had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. So to Nick, he goes and has a conversation about his religious worldview, which would have convinced Nicodemus that he was okay. I know all the laws. I followed them. I've had all the training. And I am confident in Myself, that I can stand before God because I've done all the right things. Which is actually a, a twist of what the law was for. The law wasn't given to make you proud. The law was given to show you how broken you were. That you couldn't keep it. That you needed a savior. But Nick has somehow gotten confused and thinks that he can actually keep it. Therefore, he's good. And so Jesus says, no, the issue isn't whether you know the law or not. The issue is you need to be born again because spiritually you're dead. He said, it's not that you're good or bad. The issue is you're dead, spiritually. And you need to be born again. 
See, he needs to be saved from religion. And if you grew up in church like I did, this is your struggle. That your confidence is in what you've done and you think that that makes you good. When you need to come back to the fact that the reason why Jesus came, we celebrated this eight days ago, was not because you were good. It's because you were dead. And he had to die and be risen from the dead so that you in your deadness could be risen from the dead. This isn't a conversation about goodness. This is a conversation about life and death. And so Nick, he needs to be saved from religion. The dominant belief in America today, inside and outside of the church, is that good people go to heaven when they die. As long as you're better than most people. But the problem is, is that Jesus isn't grading on a curve. The standard is perfection, and we've all failed the course. Jesus has come so that we can be brought from death to life. Sammy has a very different conversation with Jesus because her problem isn't religion. Her problem is shame. See, in that day, if you'd had five husbands and you were on your sixth man, you would have been entirely ostracized by your culture. You were the worst of the worst. I mean, today we would have all sorts of colorful adjectives that I won't speak, but I'm sure you could think of for somebody who was like this. But it wouldn't just be adjectives. It would be ostracizing. That's why she's there at noon. She doesn't want to see the people who will speak those words over her. She feels profound shame. And what is so interesting is that Jesus brings truth and grace to the proud and the broken. Which means that all of us are covered today. Those of us who are proud and those of us who know we're broken. And I thought about writing it this way, that Jesus brings truth to the proud and grace to the broken, but he actually brings both. To Nicodemus, he tells him the truth about where he is in his deadness, and he offers him grace to be born again. And to this woman, he tells her the truth about herself, and then he offers her grace with living water. The problem with both of them is they're stuck in a cycle that they need to break. See, for Nicodemus, he's hoping that following this law and 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 this law law will make him good with God. But he's living in the wrong cycle. Sammy is this man and 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 this man, hoping that some of those men are going to fill that hole. Now, before you judge Sammy because you don't struggle like her, let me change the subject. Job one, job two, job three, job four, job five. Custom home one, custom home two, custom home three, custom home four. Epic vacation one, epic vacation two, epic vacation three, epic vacation four. Kid one, kid two, kid three, kid four. Your cycle may be different, but it's the same problem. You're looking for the right thing, but you're looking in the wrong well. And until you change the well, you're going to continue to get thirsty. And so whether your problem is shame or religion, Jesus comes to set you free. Number four, Nick needs to embrace his identity as a sinner. Sammy needs to embrace her identity as worthy. 
John 3.16 is one of the most well-known verses in all the Bible, but we're talking about it with more context than you're probably used to. In John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world, this is Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We stop there, but we shouldn't. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And then verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And then to Sammy, they have a different conversation. In John 4, Jesus says to her, the woman says to Jesus, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet because he's just told her the truth about her life. She goes, our father worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And here's what happens. Sometimes when you get a little too close for comfort, people change the subject. She doesn't want to talk about herself and her brokenness. She moves to kind of an argument conversation. Where should we worship? My hunch, this is in the Bible. This is just Scott talking. I think Jesus got too close for comfort. So she raised the level back up to a more superficial level. But Jesus isn't having it. He says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. He says, you worship what you do not know as Samaritans. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. They were God's chosen people that God was going to work through to bless and save the world. He says, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. He's extending her an invitation to worship him regardless of where the fight is over. He says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. She says, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus says to her, I who speak to you today am he. To Nicodemus, Jesus extends an offer of salvation, but Nicodemus has to decide that he needs to be saved. He has to decide that he actually hasn't been saving himself through his religion, and he needs a savior. And that's super hard to swallow for a lot of you. This is the reason why the vast majority of people who come to faith in Christ make that decision before the age of 18. And if you follow the statistics, the older you get, the numbers go down. My hunch, the older you get, the harder it is to surrender, the more you have to let go of. When you're 16, there's not much to surrender. When you're 60, there's a whole lifetime. And so he has to admit, Nicodemus does, that he's a sinner And he needs a savior. And until he embraces that identity, nothing's going to change. Jesus invites him to do that. To to Sammy, he has a very different conversation. He talks to her and he tells her that she is worthy of being a worshiper of God. He asks her for a drink, which is a symbol of, I'm willing to touch you. And she's been untouched by anybody who's a Jew for her whole lifetime. He's a teacher, he's a rabbi, and he tells her not that she is worthy of being excluded or sidelined or pushed away, but she's worthy of being touched and talked to. He's declaring her worthy of being a worshiper of the one true God. He's telling her, I'm the Messiah, 
And as the Messiah, I've done all this with you. And what he's doing is beginning to heal her heart. Some of you have been going to the wrong well, looking for the right thing in the wrong place, and you've been looking for somebody else to tell you you're worthy. Because sometime long ago, somebody told you you were unworthy. And here's the thing. Nobody else telling you you're worthy is going to do what your heavenly father will do. Because the scriptures say that God demonstrated his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. So when you were unworthy, he declared you worthy. When you hadn't done anything to earn it or deserve it, when you were still in your brokenness and your sin, he came and he died for you. Worthy, worthy, worthy. And to this woman, he says, you may see yourself as your worst moment, but I see you as worthy. Number five. Nick's story ends unresolved and Sammy's story transforms others. One of the interesting things about the Bible is the Bible doesn't always give us the ending that we want. Unlike the movie Avengers, I won't spoil it for you, but the ending is awesome. Gives you the ending it wants. But Nicodemus' story doesn't. After this whole conversation with Jesus, here's what, he, here's what it says. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out to the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and he baptized. What about Nicodemus? What happens to him? What does he do? We don't know. All we know is that when Jesus dies... And his his body is taken on that Friday, Good Friday, to be buried. Nicodemus is there helping with the burial. Now, you could make up what that means to you, what you think it's a sign of, but you don't know. And I don't know. It's the same place a lot of you are in today. I can tell you what I believe the truth is. I don't know what you're going to do with it. I can tell you where your story could go but you're going to have to decide that. Sammy's story is very different. We know how her story ends. In John 4, it says, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back into the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and they made their way towards him, towards Jesus. It says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. And then later it says, because of his words, Jesus' words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. She leaves her water jar there. She runs away. She tells the people, Hey, come see the guy who told me everything I've done. Everything that everybody else knew. And that should be hopeful for some of you who earlier thought about your worst moment and thought it would condemn you. You know what this story says? Your worst moment doesn't have to condemn you. It could be the place where God calls you and uses you can be the platform. Her platform to share the good news of Jesus was man one, two, three, four, five, and six. 
what she had experienced as our enemy, Satan's tool for shame, God used to save many people. Don't allow that place to be a place of condemnation for you. Give it to God and watch him transform it. It's an epic plot twist. The thing she was most ashamed of became the thing that set other people free. And this is why I wanted to start this message here today. Because without connecting to the source in Jesus, we'll never be a resource to other people. Before you go out and change the world and bring healing, you got to experience it yourself. You got to use what you're selling. And you can't just tell people, hey, you got to get some of this good stuff. You got to experience it yourself. It's like when you get on a plane. And they show you the thing. They go, hey, put on your oxygen mask first. Most of us have already tuned it out. We roll our eyes. Some of you right now are going, man, Scott, you are so cliche. Well, here's what I want to ask you. The question isn't, do you know it? The question is, are you living it? Because some of us have settled for knowing the right answers and have not gotten, gotten on to living them. Nicodemus had all of the right answers. And he still need to be saved. Some of you could not attend another worship service, Bible study, or sermon and have enough Bible to apply for the rest of your lives. It's not enough to know the right answers. You gotta live them. Knowing the answers is easy, living them is hard. And if you want God to use you, you can't just know them. Or else you're just going to give yourself away. If you want to be used by God, you have to be connected to the source. Otherwise, you're just going to give yourself away. On the back of your handout are some next steps that I want to encourage you with today to process as we go. And the first one is this. I want you to circle the name of the person that you see more of yourself in. Do you see more of yourself in Nick, Nicodemus? Do you see more of yourself in Sammy, the Samaritan woman? Which, which person's story do you connect more with? Number two, finish this sentence. I need Jesus to save me from blank. Is it religion? Is it shame? Is it something else? Number three, finish this sentence. Change will begin when I embrace my identity as what? Needy? A sinner, worthy, loved. What's the identity that he wants you to embrace? And then number four, today I'm looking to Jesus as my source of what? What are you looking to him as your source for? Because until you look to him as your source, you will never be a resource to others. Here's how I think most of us live. Most of us live as if we are unlimited resources. But the truth is, we're all pretty limited. And some of you who came in here today, you're like this, except... If you're real honest, you feel real empty today. You feel real dry. You're digging deep to give something away. You think it's the coffee hasn't kicked in yet. Or you need to get more sleep on Saturday night. 
You don't have a coffee problem. You don't have a sleep problem. You have a resource problem. And if this is what you're trying to give the world, the world's going to feel as dry as you are. What if instead... This is not the Shamu splash zone, so don't worry. (laughs) What if instead you went with this? In John 4.14, Susanna, can you give me the slide? Jesus says, whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. If you want to make a difference in this world... Don't give them your empty container. Give them this. But before you give them this, you have to experience this. You have to drink it yourself. But when you drink it, he promises that you will not become a limited resource, but that you will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And you won't give people yourself. You'll give them him. What you've already experienced and what you're still experiencing. You don't have to live thirsty. You don't have to live empty. Come. Taste. Drink. And from that place, make a difference in this world. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you don't ask us to be the world's superman, the world's savior. You're enough of a savior for the whole world. And God, we confess that some of us have been living drier than we realize, thirstier than we realize, because we've been living disconnected from you. We've been trying to give the world ourselves rather than giving them you. And God, I know from personal experience you've taught me this lesson through my own failures and broken attempts that every time I try to live from my own resources, I fail, I stumble, and I fall. I burn out and I get exhausted. Only when I live deeply and intimately connected to you Am I satisfied? Is my thirst quenched? And only from there do I have something to offer others. God, whether my friends in this room saw themselves in Nick's story or Sammy's story, God, I hope that they had an encounter with you today. And I hope that you are burdening their heart with their next step. Some of us came looking for you, Jesus, and others of us found you waiting for us. Thank you for meeting us exactly where we are today, Jesus, and thank you so much for not leaving us there. We pray that today we would experience you. We would surrender ourselves to you. 
and that you would give us some of that living water so that not only could our thirst be quenched, but so that we would have something to offer others, somewhere to point others, some healing to offer this world because we ourselves have been healed in that same way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.